I'm Natalie Pearson from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Sandra Seno Alde. Sandra is a lecturer in international business at the University of Sydney Business School, and her research focuses on the nature and impact of international trade and international investment networks on risk in economically integrated regions, and on exploring the nature and impact of diverse and resilient international business organisations on performance. Sandra is also a member of the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre's Executive Committee. Sandra, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Natalie. Our great pleasure. We've been looking forward to speaking with you for quite some time. So today we're going to be talking about the impact of close economic ties on risk. And it's a great time to be talking about this as we're physically distancing ourselves from others and as countries around the world lock down their borders. So it's a great opportunity to talk about this relationship between connectedness and risk and resilience. For a long time, we've tended to assume that close relationships between nation states make the global landscape more sturdy, more stable and more resilient. What are some of the benefits of international cooperation? Following the end of the Second World War, the world has actually gone on a significant and protracted effort to try to create closer relationships with each other. This was, of course, led predominantly by European countries who didn't want to undergo the trauma of war again. So they wanted to build stronger economic and social and political relationships with each other so that together they could uh, grow uh, economically as a union, if you'd like. After the Second World War, we've had several kinds of models for building closer relationships with each other, and that includes free trade areas, customs unions, and of course, single markets and economically integrated regions like the EU. And the benefits are clear. There's less conflict among countries. Studies have consistently shown that countries that have economic ties with each other are less likely to invade each other. There have, of course, been studies that show that it's not all good particularly with the emergence of state-owned enterprises that engage in or that enter into economic integration agreements tend to create highly politicized relationships, which is precisely what the world has been trying to avoid. On the whole, though, we've enjoyed very positive returns to economic integration, and we've enjoyed a peaceful and prosperous period uh, because of our closer ties with each other. Thank you for outlining some of the benefits to international cooperation, but what I'd like to do now, and it's really a great time to be doing this, is to revisit the assumption that close ties make us strong. And within the context of economic ties, to explore the implications of close relationships on risk. Do countries stand stronger united, or does this interconnectedness create, to use a very common term at the moment, a petri dish? of perfect conditions for contempt and contagion? This is an excellent question, Natalie. And my research has found that closeness is a double-edged sword. There are significant benefits to closeness, but unfortunately, my research has shown that tightly coupled relationships also expose us to significant risks. The best analogy that I can find is it's this lockdown experience where families are essentially 
forced to spend extended periods of time at home. And anecdotal evidence will show that there's increased conflict between partners, increased conflict between parents and children. So the effect is essentially the same in the case of economic integration. So in my research, I compared the ASEAN region with the European Union. Now, both these regions are governed by very different integration agreements. The ASEAN region is governed by a very loosely defined free trade area where the member countries aren't really compelled to adhere to very, very strict rules and guidelines and regulations. So it's a very loose kind of agreement. By contrast, the European Union is governed by an integration agreement that's very robust. It really requires countries to engage deeply with each other, to align regulation, to align policy, and essentially fall in line with everyone else. The results of the study show that the tightness of the European Union model has resulted in very tight economic relationships within the region. By contrast, uh, integration agreement of ASEAN has resulted in a much looser kind of economic relationship within the region. This means that from the perspective of risk, the looseness of the coupling in the ASEAN region means that the region is dependent on the country that has the widest network. The region is vulnerable to the most connected country within Southeast Asia. By contrast, because of the tightness of their coupling, the European countries are exposed or vulnerable to each other, to everyone, uh, regardless of whether the country is large or small. They're vulnerable to each other. So you're using this kind of idea of a spectrum of regional integration, right? And you've got the free trade model at one end of the spectrum, which is a type of really basic form of trade integration. And that's how ASEAN can be understood. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the fully integrated region. And the best example of that is the EU. And this is a total integration achieved through unification of economic agreements, but also other policies like social policies amongst all the member states. So we have this very different spectrum. And what you're saying is that where an interregional trade network falls on that spectrum determines how susceptible it is to different types of risk. Yes, that's right. If a region like ASEAN is governed by a free trade agreement, which is a, it's a more basic kind of regional integration, that results in a looser coupling of economic relationships within the region. This looser coupling of relationships in the region results in a very unique kind of risk where countries are exposed or vulnerable to the most highly connected country in the region. So in other words, if in the ASEAN region, Thailand was the most connected country in the 1990s, then it wasn't a surprise that it was Thailand and the collapse of the Thai bot that eventually resulted in a knock-on effect 
throughout the rest of the region. So soon after the Thai baht collapsed, the rest of the currencies in the ASEAN region collapsed as well. So at that point in time, ASEAN was highly vulnerable to the strength or weakness of Thailand, which was its most connected country. At the moment, the most connected country in the ASEAN region would be Singapore, which means that the region is much more vulnerable to the strength or weakness of Singapore. By contrast, the European Union is very tightly coupled and that tight coupling comes about as a result of the very tight framework of European integration. All the countries in Europe are required to align policies and regulations with each other. The consequence of that is that countries are motivated to trade very actively with each other. And this active trade results in very tight economic relationships in the region, which is great on the one hand, but from a risk perspective, the nature of risk is very different. Rather than countries in Europe being exposed to the most connected country, countries in Europe are instead exposed to every other country in the region. It doesn't matter, therefore, which country is big or which country is small. So it doesn't matter whether it's Greece, for example, or if it's Britain that exits the region. It doesn't matter which country fails, falls, or exits. Any kind of exit is going to make a significant impact, significantly negative impact on the entire region. So if we contrast that with ASEAN or Southeast Asia, the economies that matter are the largest ones and the most connected ones. And it's the failure of those countries that will result in significant disruption across the rest of the region. The smaller countries, however, that are less connected to the region, let's say, for example, Cambodia or Myanmar or Laos for that matter, because of the size of their economies, they're less connected to the rest of the region. And therefore, if any of those smaller countries experience some sort of economic disruption, that economic disruption will be contained within those small countries and will not have a contagion effect on the rest of the region. Sandra, you've talked a lot about connectedness and I'm guessing this has something to do with network analysis, but can you tell us how you measured this connectedness? You're right, Natalie. I used network analysis to analyze the nature and structure of the relationships among the countries in the ASEAN region and the European Union. So I constructed networks where countries were the nodes of those networks and the lines that connected each country were the trade relationships among and between those countries. So the resulting network structure in the ASEAN region was a loosely coupled network. Whereas if we visualize the network, trade network within the European Union, the trade network was very much highly connected and very, very dense. It's a very densely connected 
uh, networks. So both networks were very different from each other. So are you saying that in Southeast Asia, in the ASEAN network, that the intensity of trade remained connected with a few key players? Yes, the intensity of trade in the ASEAN region was of moderate intensity. And that's not surprising because the overarching integration framework was one that's characterized by moderate uh, rules and guidelines around trade. By contrast, the nature of trade in the European Union was very intense. Uh, and that's not surprising because the overarching regional integration framework required that countries aligned their economic policies and regulations with each other. How do these trade networks and economic networks intersect or overlap with other networks like social networks or networks of migrants, for example? This is a really good question, Natalie, and those are questions that I intend to pursue in the next few years. What would be most interesting to see would be, as you mentioned, overlapping networks or networks on top of networks or networks of networks. And that'll give us significant insight into what, first of all, drives our connectedness with each other in the world and where our potential sources of risk are as well. That will be absolutely fascinating future research, Sandra. I can't wait to read more about that. I'd like to come back to this question of vulnerability. Can we say that ASEAN is more vulnerable than the EU, or is it just that it's a different type of vulnerability? It's a different kind of vulnerability, Natalie. The nature of vulnerability in the EU would be very similar to this virus, I must say, where close proximity to each other presents a high probability of contagion. That's the nature of risk in the EU. The nature of risk in the ASEAN region is very different in that it's a risk that's associated with size and connectedness such that there used to be a saying about this. It's when the United States sneezes, then the little countries around the world catch a cold. And that's simply because the United States was such a huge economy at that time. In that scenario, it doesn't matter if the small countries catch a cold, the United States isn't going to get a cold because it's simply much larger than all the other economies. So the nature of the risk is very different. Looking forward, what are the implications of these findings as economic and political relationships become more tightly coupled? Risk management strategies must be coordinated. And we can see this very clearly as the COVID-19 crisis plays out. There have been countries in Europe that have acted independently of other countries. I can single out the Netherlands, for example, that instituted a very different crisis response to the rest of the European region. And that annoyed all the other countries because the strategy was very different to everyone else. In a highly connected world, the responsibility to coordinate in both the good times and the bad times is much greater. We must work with each other more closely. I think this is such interesting and relevant research. Although it doesn't seem to be directly related to coronavirus, you can really see the implications of this close analysis of integration within different regions of the world. 
and its applicability to all sorts of other crises besides just economic and trade crises. Thank you for dialing in on Zoom and making your research available to all our listeners here on the SEAC podcast. I love this stuff and I can't stop talking about it, but yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. For more podcasts like this, look up Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at soundcloud.com.